Okay, I'm going to quickly pick up because i got a lot to cover today. Uh, for those of you that are guests hanging out with us, we've been going through the Gospels, taking over a year to do that, and we're to the point where Jesus was um, is in the process of being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas has already kissed him, and now uh, they're getting ready to uh, tie him up. There's like 400 soldiers, Roman soldiers there to arrest Jesus. They probably felt like they needed it because he had escaped them so many times before. And so uh, they were there to arrest him, and they were going to take him to the high priest. And I left you last week saying, we have a conflict in the scripture because it says that Annas is the high priest and also Caiaphas is the high priest. And the problem with that is there can only be one high priest. What's the issue? What's the issue? So let me clarify real quick is that Annas was the high priest that was put into place by the governor of Syria back in 7 AD. And then he was removed from that position by the Romans in 15 AD. The issue, though, is this. That position is held by the Jews until the chief priest dies. The high priest remains the high priest according to Jewish tradition, until he dies. It's kind of like a Supreme Court justice. But the Romans have now removed him, deposed him, as of 15 AD. And it is now Annas' sons that are being chosen as the high priest. Until about 25 AD, when Caiaphas is actually appointed the new high priest by the Roman government. He stays as the high priest from 25 A.D. until about 36 A.D. The issue is, Annas is still alive. And the Jews will say, he's the high priest. The Roman government will say, Caiaphas is the high priest. Interestingly enough, that has stayed in the family tree because Caiaphas is the son-in-law of Annas. You with me? The Jews see Annas as the high priest. The Romans see Caiaphas as the high priest. That helps the story, and now it makes sense because there can only be one high priest. So we're going to pick up in John chapter 18, verse 12. It says, then the company of soldiers, the commander, and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus and tied him up. What year is this? You can really get down to, if you follow the timeline and all that we've been talking about for the last three or four months, to a specific date. This is April the 7th, 30 A.D., April the 7th, 30 A.D., if Caiaphas was appointed the high priest from 25 A.D. to 36 A.D., this is right in the middle of his reign as high priest. So uh, you can look, let me take you to this verse real quick, in Acts chapter 4, verse 6. It says, with Annas, the high priest, 
Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. The Jews still reckon, this is Acts, this is after what Keith was talking about, Acts chapter 2, the Spirit came, Jesus has already been crucified, you go to Acts, but they still consider Annas the high priest, even though the Romans may consider him not, the Jews still do because it's proven here in Acts chapter 4. Now back to John 18. <clears throat> well, let me say this too. Annas had it pretty good. If he's no longer considered the guy in charge by the Romans, at the Temple Mount, you remember at the Temple Mount when Jesus would come up and he cleansed the Temple Mount? He angrily cleansed the Temple Mount? It's because the high priest at this point had special sacrifices. We talked about this as Jesus grew up. He would come to the temple and every Passover they had to bring a special sacrifice. Mary and Joseph, any Jew that was going to celebrate the Passover had to bring this perfect sacrifice. They would get to the temple and the, the priest would look at it and they go, nope, there's a blemish here, there's a blemish here, or something's wrong here, but we have a perfect sacrifice for you that we'll sell at a higher cost. They were making money on the deal. And this was not Annas because he's not the high priest, but it was his whole family. So his whole family was the one that was making Jesus upset, and he was in a pretty good spot because he was making money at the same time. So here we look at John 18, verse 13. It says, First they led him, being Jesus, to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be better for one man to die for the people. Do you remember that? Let me take you back just a few weeks. In John chapter 11, verse 49, this is just after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, had done this incredible miracle right before their eyes. He literally raised someone from the dead. And it says this in verse 49 of John 11. One of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. You're not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people rather than the whole nation perish. Back in John chapter 11, Caiaphas said, it would be better for this man Jesus to die than him coming in here and ruining our whole system that we have established. In other words, Caiaphas put a death sentence on Jesus seven chapters previously. And John reminds us in chapter 18. It also says there uh, in the same section, verse 51, it says, He did not say this on his own, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to unite the scattered children of God. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. From chapter 11 to verse 18, they've had it out to have this death sentence with Jesus. And now they're finally there. 
And John's just reminding you, hey, Caiaphas said this is what was going to happen seven chapters ago. Now look at verse 19. It says, The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. I don't know if you remember, especially if you're a guest here this week, but like three weeks ago, I went through a list of 22 rules that were pulled out of the Torah, the Mishnah, and the Babylonian Talmud, which is all the Pharisees' laws that they made up. We're going to live by these laws. They had these laws memorized. They had the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Viticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all memorized. They knew all the laws. They had the Mishnah. They had the Babylonian Talmud, which was 6,200 pages, and they had it memorized. They loved the law. They were going to follow the law to the T because the law was supposedly what was going to save them and bring them salvation. Now, I presented to you 22 of those laws, and we're going to like continue to break those down. You realize that as we sit, sit here and read that verse, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. I read the fourth law to you of the 22, and it was this. There were to be no trials before the morning sacrifice. What's he doing? The high priest is questioning Jesus. He's putting him on trial. They're breaking one of their own laws. It says in verse 20, Jesus answered, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all the Jews congregate, and I haven't spoken anything in secret. Jesus is saying, look, you guys, you've followed me for three years. I've done this all in public. It's all been out in the open. I've said nothing privately, except we know that he did to his disciples. But he did his miracles before Matthew chapter 12, all in public all under the scrutiny of the Pharisees, the Jews, and everybody else. And now he's sitting here, he's kind of looking at him, and he's saying, why are you doing this in secret? Why are we having this discussion? I've done everything out in public. Now you're doing this privately. Again, breaking another rule. That was number five that I read to you. There were to be no secret trials, only public trials. That's two rules broken right there in two verses. Then verse 21, it says, Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said. Rule number eight broken. Rule number eight was this. There was to be no allowance for the accused to testify against himself. This is exactly what Jesus is doing right here. He's testifying against himself. So now we've broken three rules. Verse 22. When he said these things, one of the officials standing by slapped Jesus. <laughs> you can just read that and go on, or you can think about that for a second. Imagine slapping Jesus. It's pretty crazy to think about. You know... If you read the Mishnah, if you punch a dude, if you punch a dude, it's two denarii, fine, like with a closed fist. 
You know what a denarii is, right? It's like a day's wage. So two days wage fine if you punch a dude. If you slap a dude with an open hand, palm first, it's a fine of 200 denarii. From a punch, it's two. Open slap is 200. It was a serious crime. If you spit on somebody, it was 400 denarii. That's like over a whole year's wages fine for spitting on somebody. They had their penalties set. And this dude just slapped Jesus on trial. Tell me that wasn't a big deal. Said, when he said these things, one of the officials standing slapped Jesus, saying, Is this the way that you answer the high priest? You're going to talk to him like this? And Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, give evidence about the wrong. But if rightly, why do you hit me? He's saying, Look, you guys have already broken your rules. You prove that I'm wrong. You prove that I've broken any of these rules, and I'll accept it. But you've sit here, and, and you've obviously broken your own rules. Verse 24, it says, Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Again, I said Annas had it pretty good, right? He's making money. He's not the guy in charge. Hey, look, hey, I, I'm not the one to make this decision. I'm going to pass him off to my son-in-law, Caiaphas. Take him, he's still bound up, take him to Caiaphas. Annas has kind of washed his hands over the whole deal. And let me explain uh, the Sanhedrin as we get into this next section because we're going to look at Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 57. But the Sanhedrin was made up of 24 elders, or excuse me, 22 elders, 24 scribes, and 24 chief priests. Anybody know what that number is real quick? 24, 24, and 22. 70. 70. Thank you for on the front row. And then you add to that the high priest and you get what? Come on. 1 plus 70. 71. You had to have an odd number so when you voted, there wasn't a tie. It's kind of like the high priest was the vice president, you know, breaks the tie. And so now you've got Caiaphas, who's the high priest, and you've got the Sanhedrin. To have the lower Sanhedrin, you had to have at least 23 people present. You had, there was a minimum of 23 people that had to be present to have a, 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 a trial. Now we look at Matthew 26, verse 57. It says, Those who had arrested Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders convene. Now we know we're dealing with the Sanhedrin. We know that these are the guys that all the Jewish nation look up to. They're the ones that make all the rules. you got the scribes, the elders, and the chief priests, and the high priests. We absolutely know he was dealing with the Sanhedrin. What does that do? That means we just broke more laws. We broke more of their own rules. The 20th rule was the only place a Sanhedrin trial could take place 
was in the hall of judgment of the temple compound that came out of the Babylonian Talmud. They're in Caiaphas' house. This isn't the temple. They broke that rule. Rule 22, no trials were on the eve of the Sabbath or on the eve of a feast day. We know that the Passover feast was the next day. You can't do this trial the night before. That's in the Mishnah. Rule number seven, the procedure was to be the first defense and then the accusation. If you read this directly from the Mishnah, it says capital cases must begin with reasons for acquittal and may not begin with reason for conviction. They're already trying to convict Jesus from the get-go. They just broke three more of their own rules. What is it when you want something so badly? You want something so badly that you can overlook your own rules. You hear what I'm saying? They want him so badly, we're willing to look the other direction. Then verse 59, it says, the chief priests and the soul, and then the whole Sanhedrin there, they identified him, says we're looking for false testimony against Jesus so they could put him to death. Oh, broke another rule. Number nine says all may argue in favor of acquittal, but all may, in, may argue in favor, uh, not all may argue in favor of conviction. It says actually in the Mishnah, in capital charges, all may argue in favor of acquittal, but not in favor of conviction. They just did it. They said the Sanhedrin was there, and they were arguing for conviction. Verse 60, it says, But they could not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. This sounds like we're living in today, right? It says, But they could not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two who came forward stated, this man said, I can, in some of your translations it says, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Now, let me jump real quick over to Mark chapter 14, which is the parallel book to Matthew chapter 26. If I jump over to Mark 14 and read verse 55... Here's what it says. The chief priests in the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they could not find any. For many were giving false testimony against him, and the testimonies did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, stating, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands. Now, a couple things here. What temple was Jesus actually talking about? himself, that he is the temple, that his temple, his earth suit was going to be destroyed there on the cross. It was going to be buried and it was going to be raised again in three days. We get that. But now they've just sat here in one book. Mark says that I will destroy this temple. If you go back to Matthew, it says, I can, I'm able if you were to be in a court of law today and one said, I heard him say, I'm able to destroy the temple. And the other one said, I heard him say, I will destroy the temple. You've got inconsistent testimonies and it's thrown out, right? 
Inconsistent, inconsistent testimonies doesn't count. Any lawyer would tell you that. So this should automatically be thrown out because even Matthew and Mark are both saying their, their testimonies are not the same. They're not saying the exact same thing. But do they throw them out? No. They listen to them. So then I go back to uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 62. It says, The high priest stood up and said to him, Don't you have an answer to what men are testifying against you? He broke another rule right there, rule number eight. There was to be no allowance for the accused to testify against himself again. That's the second time that that's happened. He's letting the accused testify against himself. And I love this. This is just so awesome. Verse 63 says this, but Jesus just kept silent. What do you have to say? Jesus is sitting there like going, man, you guys are breaking rule after rule after rule. You're asking me to talk. You're asking me to testify on my own behalf. It's almost, it's almost, have you ever been in a situation where it's just so ridiculous that you laugh about it? I mean, it's, it's a horrendous situation. You ever been in one of those situations? John, you remember when my house was like flooding all the time? I think I had like three or four floods in my house and with a two-year period. On the fourth one, I came in and I saw water coming out of the ceiling and I just sat there and laughed. I'm like, this can't be real. That, and I had to think, this is probably what Jesus is doing is he's sitting there. One, there's a peace about it. You're going, wait, 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 he's getting ready to die on the cross. How can he have a peace about it? Because from eternity past, him and his Father and the Spirit have said, this is how it's all going to fall out, and you're going to be sacrificed as the perfect sacrifice at 9 o'clock on Friday as the Passover lamb. And he's escaped and escaped and escaped for three years, and now it's all coming down to it. And it's got to happen here in less than 24 hours. And Jesus go, uh, this has got to be put on like rapid because we only have a few more hours before I'm to be on the cross. And he's watching them break their own rules. So even though there's anxiety about him dying, and it's almost like a comedy about how they're treating him and how they're like breaking the rules, this whole kangaroo court thing, there has to be a peace about it because he sees that his time is coming and it's coming quickly at the hands of the Jews. It says <clears throat> in verse 63, to continue, it says, But Jesus kept silent. The high priest said to him, I, ch I charge you under oath by the living God to tell us if you're the Messiah, the Son of God. Verse 64, it says, you have said it. He didn't say that he was the Son of God. He didn't say that he was the Messiah. He just agreed with Caiaphas saying, you said it, not me. If you say that, you're basically saying yes. But jumped again now to Mark chapter 14, verse 60. Mark 14, verse 60, it says, Then the high priest stood up before them all, questioned Jesus, don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? 
But he kept silent and he did not answer. And again, the high priest questioned him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Guess what he said? In Mark, he says, I am. Now, wait a second. He says, I am. But just a few verses back in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, I am Jehovah. And they all fell down. Judas fell down. The Roman soldiers fell down. As soon as he said, I'm God, they all fell down. Now he's in court, and he doesn't drop the word Jehovah because it was illegal for Jews to say the name of God. And if he would have said Jehovah, they would have convicted him of blasphemy because that's one of their rules. And all he says there in Mark is, I am. No need to like knock everybody down by saying Jehovah. He just says simply, I am. I'm the guy that you're looking for. And then he says, go back to Matthew 26. Jesus told him, but I tell you, in the future you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. That's a direct quote from Daniel chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus is quoting, or 7, yeah, 7 for 13. Verse 65, he says, Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. <laughs> That's awesome. Think about what he's done here. First of all, he didn't break any of their rules. He just said, I am. He answered the question that was asked him. But rule 13 says this, The high priest was forbidden to tear his garments. That's in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 10. And what does it say he did? He tore his robe. You just broke another rule. Rule 15, charges could not originate with the judges. They could only investigate charges brought to them. He just sat there and said, you've blasphemed. Well, you can't like press charges. You can only like prove the charges. You just broke another rule. Rule number six, there were to be two or three witnesses and their testimonies had to agree in every detail. That's out of Deuteronomy 19.15. Obviously, their testimony didn't agree. Rule number 10, the accusation of blasphemy was only valid if the name of God itself was pronounced. Never did he say, God, Jehovah, Yahweh. All he said was, I am. Here's the irony of it all. They defined what blasphemy was. In today's society, we probably do the same thing. We determine on our own what blasphemy is. But if anybody's going to determine what blasphemy is, I would say that it would have to be Jesus. And Jesus did this back in Matthew chapter 12. It's the only place that Jesus defined what blasphemy was. And I don't know if you remember this, but at this point Jesus did one of the three messianic miracles, cast out a demon of a mute cast a demon out of a mute, someone that couldn't speak. Jesus did this. And all of a sudden, the Pharisees said to him, you're doing these miracles, all these things that you've done under the spirit of Beelzebub, under the power of the devil. And Jesus looked at them and said, 
You've just blasphemed the Spirit. Jesus just defined what blasphemy truly was. This was the only group on the face of the earth that could blaspheme Jesus, and they did it. He says, you've just blasphemed the Spirit by saying that I'm doing these things under the power of the devil. And it was at that point everything changed. He started teaching the followers in private. He started doing his miracles in private. He started teaching parables because he didn't want the Pharisees who blasphemed to hear the message. Some still did. You know, in the Sanhedrin, there were at least two of the scribes, priests, Pharisees that weren't present during this whole thing. you have any idea who they might be? I'm hearing whispering. One of them was the guy that gave up his tomb. Joseph of Arimathea probably wasn't present. And the other had to be Nicodemus. I'm pretty sure that neither Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus wasn't present during all these things. There was probably a select group of people that wanted Jesus, and they had planned all this. And so now they've defined blasphemy, but Jesus is the one that truly defines it. It says, why do we still need witnesses. See, now you've heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? They answered, he deserves death. Let me go to Mark chapter 14, verse 64. Watch this real quick. It says, then some began to spit on him. Wait, didn't we just describe what the fine was? That's a pretty disgusting thing, but it's a pretty... Who would do that? They began to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to beat him, saying, prophesy. The temple servants also took him and slapped him. You just broke another rule. Rule 17. Judges were to be humane and kind. They spit and slapped on him. There's nothing humane or kind about that. They broke another rule. Number 11. A person condemned to death was not to be scourged or beaten beforehand. That came out of the Babylonian Talmud. Flogging is considered a substitute for death, so a person who has to die was not to be beaten or scourged beforehand. They were willing to give up a whole year's salary to discredit this man. Then we go back to uh, Matthew 26. Matthew 26. It says, verse 67, Then they spat in his face, and they beat him. Others slapped him. And he said, Prophesy to us, Messiah. Who was it that hit you? Who was it that hit you? 
Now, we've sat here and we've unpacked these rules that they've broken. We've sat here and explained how you can take history books with the mission of the Babylonian Talmud, the Torah, Jewish books, and you can compare it with the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it all makes sense. It all makes sense. Like, literally people will take this book right here and go, this is just a fairy tale. This is just a story. But what if you, what if you compare it to Jewish history? What if you compare it to world history? What if you can match everything up accordingly? There's no question, there's no question right here that Jesus was who he said he was. I am Jehovah. I am God. I'm the one. He said to him, I'm the Messiah. I came here to be the perfect sacrifice for your sins, and he will be in just a few hours. And what that allows us, watch, what that allows us in this room right here is to sit here together as a community of believers, believing that Jesus is the Messiah, knowing that he died on the cross for all of our sins. All our sins. Past, current, and future, already dealt with. Sin is not the issue in this room. It's been dealt with. I still sin. I get it. I still sin. It's been dealt with. I agree wholeheartedly with Keith. I ask that when you see me that you don't look at my flesh, but you look at who I am in spirit. I'm holy I'm redeemed, I'm righteous, I'm forgiven, I'm a child of God, and that's what I pray that you see. I look out here and I see the same thing. Yeah, I, I see your junk. <laughs> I see that. But wait, that's already been dealt with. I can see you as holy and redeemed. And that's who I want to hang out with. And my Savior... My Messiah went through all of this so we could have this. Father, I pray that uh, you continue to unpack your word, that we can stick to your word wholly, and we can understand it. I pray that uh, the message delivered this morning was not from me, but from you and that you even interpret it through your spirit to each person in this room. So, Lord, I trust you uh, with your word, but I trust you with who you are and the lives of my friends that are sitting out here today. And uh, just thank you for this morning. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs>